So there was a a, a gestalt. If, uh, there was a what? There was a gestalt, which means it's more than the sum of its parts. So there were there were moments that happened, and the accumulation of it, basically, me pretending to be fulfilled and satisfied was untenable. Like I couldn't do it anymore. So part of what happened when that letter came out, you know, to this day, I've never read the letter. I have no interest in reading the letter. It doesn't matter now (laughs) to me, like whatever was in there was in there, but I didn't need to read it to know that those things were true. Welcome to the Reclamation Podcast. My name is Aldo Martin. And I'm Cousin Eddie. And together, we're going to explore what it's like to be in and leave a religious cult. For more info on the Reclamation Podcast, find me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Aldo B. Martin. Right? Because it was a lived experience. So... At that time in 2003, my friends were gone. Like the ones, the, the, the people that I felt safe enough to be more real with were gone, had graduated, had moved to another state, had moved to the singles ministry. So those closer relationships, those bonds that we had, um, just as a part of the, the culture of the church, I didn't have them anymore. So then having to form these other relationships in which there was more of that code switching, that performative being present more hurt in those relationships, go to Arizona. Arizona is a completely different vibe. Like I'm further away from the campus ministry because just where, how the city is set up. Um, I'm older. I'm in grad school. The relationships, you know, still predominantly white state (laughs) and city. Can't find a beauty store, can't find my people, can't find my community that are even like outside of the church, don't know, you know, where to find connection. And the relationships became just more strained. And it's more strained in a sense of like being able to manage the stress of trying to show up, do good, bring people to church, be godly. It wasn't, there was no return of investment. The way you're describing it, it it literally sounds like when you first came to New York and you were not a member of the church. And you came and there was this sense of searching for belonging and the church presented it, pr- pr- provided that for you at the time. So now here you are as a member of the church and you're transitioning to graduate school on the other side of the country, still within the framework of this church. And here we are, you're left with those same thoughts or feelings or the state of being as when you first came to New York. Am I oversimplifying? You're not oversimplifying it. Um, I think what you're underscoring there is what I've I've said before, that relationship is very important, right? And part of this church, part of the draw initially with this church was no matter where I go in the world, I'll be able to have relationships, Right. And this idea that in these relationships that I would be cared for, taken care of in terms of like that sense of belongingness. And with all of the different churches that I've gone to in the different states and experienced, um, again, just more understanding of people are people. And there's no guarantee for belongingness, even if you're going to the same church. 
it's not the same practices, even if you belong to the same like overall church. And you had and to learn so, that the hard way. Yeah. Yeah. Because in Arizona, you know, it get hot out here. <laughs> Shorts that are, you know, five inches above the knee was cool. Like, wasn't nobody saying nothing. And we would go to Applebee's reverse happy hour after, you know, midweek service. It was very different <laughs> than in New York. Different. I was like, we drinking together? What is this? Mm. So, mm-hmm. Okay. So, okay. so it was again this this strain of I can't continue to pretend like this is okay. There was another moment. So you know I was in grad school, really loving psychology, learning a lot about psychology, what I wanted to do. And you know, speaking of the DPI books, there's only two DPI books that I ever owned. It was the Songs of the Kingdom, right? I think that was the name of it. Oh it wait, was, we can't we count that as a DPI book, the song book. Wasn't that a DPI book? I mean, that was like the the the, the burgundy or pinkish cover. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a DPI snap. book. Uh, Elena, Elena, you 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 got to be the tiebreaker. Are we counting that as a DPI book? Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, because yeah, it was it was where we buy it from. Yeah, I'm about to say where we buy it from. Where the coins go to? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have to do it. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Go ahead. And what was the so other one? What that, was the other one? And I had one other by uh ferguson who Ooh. was one of the like the that old name, elders yeah. of the church mm-hmm. now Some we're talking bit. about old elder like like southern old elder this is a book about and praying said, this is a book about praying i don't even remember the same all ship. i know is i got ship. to I, I think I it was about he wrote many many right and i got to a part of a chapter where the title of the chapter was paralysis by psychoanalyst and it was a whole chapter on how psychology and therapy are no good. And I was like, hold up. Wait, wait, no, I'm saying hold up. Can you please rewind that? Uh, can you say that again? Uh, please. Listen, the chapter was called Paralysis by Psychoanalyst. And I just reading it, I was like, he's really going in on how this is a fruitless endeavor. How, so what, how, what, you, is, what is a fruitless endeavor? Psychology. What I was and, studying. What I was getting my doctoral degree in. And this is a book written by one of the church leaders, yes. right? Okay, go on. And so at that point, I was like, uh-uh, I don't believe that to be true. So I got bold enough to say something. So after church, he was in our church region at that time. And I went up to him and I was nervous, right? Because I'm questioning this older white man about <laughs> a book with all of the clout that he had in the church, right? And I went up to him, I was like, well, you know, I, I'm reading your book and you know, I got to this part about psychoanalysis. It's, oh, yeah. And he just goes on his own tirade. And I have a good friend who does this in Boston. And we always get into this discussion. And and I really think that it's, it just paralyzes people. And I was like, but but this is what I'm studying. This this is what I'm, I'm getting my doctorate in. I'm in grad school for this. And I don't remember his response. But I remember it was not encouraging. It was not uplifting. There was no exception made to his rule. Um, it, his idea. And I was like, huh. So these these things, the accumulation of these experiences of the relationships that were strained, that people were like bugging, wilding out, like it was, it was some wild stuff that I had to deal with. And I was like, huh, I'm not getting what I'm putting in. I don't think I want to be in that. At the same time, I had begun to find a Black community 
with a group of students that were, we shared a space with my school and their school shared a space. And I began to find that I didn't have to be perfect. I didn't have to know scripture. I didn't have to, you know, bring people out to church or do these performative acts for them to be kind and to just want to hang out with me. There were no conditions. And these were people and that so, were outside of the church? These were outside of the church. People I met through uh, the school. And when I saw the difference, I'm like, what am I doing with this group? Why am I trying so hard? So I faded. I faded to black. And ain't nobody called me. Ain't nobody check in and say, hey, where you at? You ain't coming to services. And I was like, all right. Well, there you have it. So I can't tell you the day. I can't tell you the month of when that happened. I just stopped going. And it was in the spring, I want to say like in the spring of 06. I want to stay on that. And for some of us, I think many people, leaving isn't easy. Right? Leaving the organization isn't easy. And some of us don't really remember the day, like you just said, or the time. We just know we left. But as you left, what were your what were your feelings as you left? Were you indifferent? Was there sadness? Was there anger? Was there a joy? What was it as as you left? How would you how would you describe yourself at that time? Depression and repression. Suppression. That's what happened. Suppression and repression. Please explain. I didn't address it. I didn't investigate. I didn't reflect why I was leaving. What was the the prompting event? I didn't want to think about it. I wanted it just to be done. Like that was now in my past. And nobody have to know about that part of my past. It didn't exist. The people that knew me at that point knew I went to a church, but they never asked me about a church. But they knew I was in grad school. So we talked about that. There was no reason to have to talk about, explain, like even with my family, right? I just no longer go to that church, nor the discussion needed. I didn't have to, didn't need to, and I didn't do it. I didn't reflect on it, didn't say, okay, I'm done. It's just, I don't go to church anymore. Now you left, Dr. Melton. I don't, uh, maybe you could help me ask this question. I don't want to say, how did it go how did you begin to pick up the pieces to your life? Cause it wasn't as if you were broken or something like that, but this was an event that, you know, took up a good portion of your life for the short time that you were there. It was all encompassing, right? Like it was, it was a <laughs> omnipresent <laughs> organization in your life, but now you leave and, and there's, there's gotta be some pieces that you're picking up. How did you go about, picking up those pieces and transitioning to creating the life that you have now. Immediately, like around that, that, that moment of leaving, like I already have vision and purpose. I knew I wanted to be a psychologist. My heart was in being able to create healing spaces for people who are also hurting without necessarily knowing like my own stuff, right? A lot of people in mental health are wounded healers. So I, I, I was already in flow in creating the life that I wanted. And again, I, I, I believe that part of what attracted me to the church is that it did connect to some of my own, like just personal values, core values about being of service to other people, being kind and compassionate. 
right? And so leaving this church left all the baggage that I can now fully pursue and act on and in these valued ways of living, right? That I had vision, like I already knew, like I got a few more years that I need to continue to move forward. And then after I get, you know, um, finish the classwork, then I do my internship. And then after the internship, I do my postdoc. After the postdoc, I'm going to be working in the community. Like it was already, there was a vision that I had for my life. Hmm. That the church no longer fit. Do you do you think that having that vision for yourself? Do you think that that helped you transition away from the church? Absolutely, absolutely. What do you think it would look like without that purpose or vision? I would be lost, absolutely lost, not knowing like what I'm supposed to be doing in life. You know, I heard in first uh, the the first season, people talk about you know uh, graduating. I, I've heard, you know, Elena, when you shared about um, not being able to to study, or if you were in a library, you had to be sharing, like, and how being a part of this church really interfered with that. That has never been part of my experience. Now I don't know why, right? Um, maybe it could be because I'm just I'm just a good student and or 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 smart or intelligent, like whatever it is, like I never had, like this church never got in the way of me Mm -hmm. doing the thing, right? Like in showing out in my classes and receiving awards and accolades. And I think that that really balanced that transition or really helped me to stay in flow because it was never a question of, I have a purpose. And if this, this piece no longer fits, I'm not dropping my purpose. We're going to have to leave this behind because, again, pretending to be satisfied and fulfilled was no longer tenable. And I didn't want to do it anymore. And I was being watered and like fed, you know, in terms of a sense of belongingness in these other relationships that I didn't have to pretend in. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now, I will say, though. That with the work that I do, still is part of my vision, still is part of my purpose, but I had to go back and reflect and heal from all of these experiences in the church in order to be even better at doing what I do. It had to happen. Well, that, that leads to my next, my next question. I, I wanted to know, how has your experience with this organization, how has that impacted um your practice, your profession, and what you do, if you can, because I'm sure there's people that are listening, right, who who have left years ago and may not have been as fortunate to find that purpose that you had, right? And there might be people that are currently leaving or want to leave, right? And they don't, they don't have that. So how has, how has this experience shaped what it is that you do today in your practice? I think that um, this experience and more specifically healing from this experience has helped me to be more authentic in the work that I do, right? More patient, more, more graceful, right? Like, I don't know if I'm using that, like having more grace and patience with the healing journey, but also 
allowing me to be just one piece of somebody, like one piece of somebody's experience of healing. Like I am not the the one who's creating the healing for the person, but to be able to walk alongside them is what I've learned from reflecting back on my experience in the church, what was happening, how I got connected to it, what I was searching for, being able to heal through those pieces that have been hurtful, that have left wounds, and being able to leverage that in a way that I can show up for others. You know, I want to talk to you about um, about leaving. Not, not leaving, but there's a component about getting into this church that we mm-hmm. haven't discussed yet. And yeah, we get into it, but it also affects our family members mm-hmm. and our friends. Your family was of a uh, Southern Baptist background? Yes, still are. Still, still are, mm-hmm. still are. So mm-hmm. you got into this church. Mm-hmm. How how did that, how did they react to it? And what kind of an effect did mm-hmm. that have on the relationship? So I think initially when I started going to church and studying the Bible, there was, there were no questions or concerns raised, right? Um, because that's, again, part of our family story. It's uh, unspoken expectation. Um, so no one ever like really questioned like what the church was or, you know, what I was learning. It was just, oh, you're going to Bible study because there's already this idea, right, of what Bible study is or what going to church is. And so initially uh, there was no questions or concerns raised. The shift happened after I was baptized. And I remember being in my dorm room with the woman that met me and my discipling partner or my discipler, I guess. Um, And I had to call my family and tell them that I was baptized and invite them to be baptized as well. So you got baptized? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, how soon thereafter? Were we talking about a day later, a week later, a month later? Probably a couple of days later. A couple of days later, still wet behind the ears, literally. And you were with uh, two other disciples? Mm-hmm. And one of them being the person that baptized you and the other one being your discipler or discipling partner, right? Your your mentor. No, your, yeah, your mentor. Right. Supervisor, right. supervisor, right. as we My like to call, it, as we yes. like to call it on yes. this program. So it's the yes. three of you in a room, and mm-hmm. you you were tasked with calling your family and tell them, "Hey, I'm baptized, I'm saved now, and I want you to be saved." Yes. So basically, share your faith with your family. I, yeah, yeah. That that's one way of putting it, but I just. Like reflecting back on it now and thinking about why that was such an important moment, not so much of like when the phone call happened, but like, why did I have to have two people there? Why did they have to be with me while I was making this phone call? Right. So reflecting back on it, I was like, this must have been like more than just sharing your faith. But they anticipated there might be a negative reaction when I shared about this particular church that I'm now a member of. And so. We got on the phone and and I was already nervous, I I guess, because of like the weight that was put on this or the significance. And so I talked to my mom first and told her about joining the church and being baptized and 
wanting her to um, be a part of this church as well, because it was the only true church and she'd be going to hell and I wanted her to go to heaven with me. <laughs> I don't remember all of the back and forth exchanges or the questions, but I remember when I said that, don't you want to go to heaven with me? She was like, no, I don't want to go to heaven with you. And that like broke my heart in that moment. And then she put my aunt on the phone who was an evangelist, right? Now my aunt also had an experience going to a church growing up that was more high control church that told her who she could marry and the the pastor, you know, put them together, right? Yeah. And so I think that she had some idea in her head about what I might be experiencing because of her own history in going to a church, a high control church. Um, And so she got on the phone and started asking me more questions, right? Um, about what type of church this is, what do you mean it's, you know, the only true church in the world and like to be careful. And I don't, I don't really remember the rest of it, but then we got off the phone and I was really upset because I never had my mother not support me Mm. like in, in anything I had ever done, Mm. whatever the big stakes were, even if I was ill prepared, like she has never not supported me. And so I experienced that moment as, oh boy, what's happening? What does this mean? Right? It's like beginning to question, like, is, is this church right or wrong? Like, why would they be so scared? I thought I'm doing what they, my family views as important, you know, being a Christian and so on and so forth. And so I get it now why the two disciples, uh, the, the two members of the church were there for that moment, right? When the doubt and the questions started to come in. So anyway, from that point, um, like I went home, like this was in February when I was first baptized and I went home for spring break. And then the person who met me and baptized me came with me to spring break, which again, reflecting back, it's like, oh, keep an eye on her. Came, came home with you for spring break? Came home with me for spring break. So back to Detroit. Back to Detroit with me. Because it would be the first time I would be seeing my family since joining this church and having this conversation. And so it wasn't, there wasn't like an intervention that my family did, right? Um, It was more of a monitoring and watching what I was doing. They came to the church with me. Again, I think it was more of like, what is this? What are they preaching? How are they going to interact? Looking for like, where are the red flags? What do we need to do, right? And I don't think that they were too alarmed. That's my assumption that they weren't too alarmed because on the surface, right? First time contact, we present normally, quote unquote, right? That we're just, you know, uh, have a praise and worship team. We meet in a church, uh, excuse me, we meet in auditoriums of schools and that's not uncommon. Um, that, you know, so it was a non-denominational church. And so it wasn't like the Baptist tradition, things like that. We had communion and we paid tithes only once though. There was no building fund. There's only one, one moment of collecting money. And so I don't think there was anything that was like significant red flags because again, the services were not, we're the only true church. It was, it was different. Like we, we reserved those times for your Bible. Uh, what was it? The midweek service and your Friday devotionals and your Bible talks. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we never talked about it. My family and I never really talked about it again, or I was never questioned again about it, but I do believe that I was watched mm. to make sure. Yeah. To see if everything was cool. See if everything was cool. And I guess they didn't see any changes in my behaviors, in my grades, in 
anything that I was doing that was alarming that they would have intervened. I do believe they would have pulled me out of school. My mama would have pulled me back <laughs> to Detroit if, you know, she was seeing some wildness mm. happening or if I ever approached them like, yeah, I'm going to leave the school to go, you know, on a mission trip. Like that would have been the red flag. So that didn't happen. Yeah. But we also never talked about it. We never had conversations about the Bible. They never asked me about questions about the Bible. Um, it just, it was like this unspoken, okay, well, you can bring your, you can have your midweek service over here. You can have your Friday night devotional over here. So when I was home over the summer and I got connected with the Detroit church, yeah, but I was never like, it wasn't a thing. Okay. They never also knew when I started to have questions or doubts or felt uncomfortable about things. I just didn't share that part with yeah. them. Man, you know, that's, um, that's interesting that, that, that their response was just to monitor from a distance because mm-hmm. uh, for myself, my dad was not with it. Mm-hmm. He wasn't with it. He was like, we ain't doing that shit. You kidding me? <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and, and for many of us, when we saw our parents take that stance or our families take that very anti stance, you know, the church would, would gas us up and say, yeah, man, you're getting persecuted. Mm-hmm. You know, and so because it's persecuted, you know, that means this is the right thing. And it was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, eventually, my dad relented and and uh, and uh, allowed me to get baptized. But um, but I think he just watched from a distance and and my mom did, too. Um, and I think they were just pleased to see that there was a positivity, you know, yeah, uh, sprouting yeah. from me. You know, there was a type of renaissance uh, 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 sprouting within me and. I was getting my confidence back. I was getting all that back, but but all of it came at a cost, right? Yeah. But but now let me ask you this then. Let me ask you this. So next time on The Reclamation. What about your friends? Will they stand their ground? Oh no. Will they let you down? <laughs> hey yay. <laughs> He said, hey, yay. Hey, yay. <laughs>